Hello and welcome to Horus Heretics. I'm William. I am Neil. And today we're discussing part two of False Gods by Graham McNeil. So, Neil, uh, where did we leave it last time? Um, we left it uh, halfway through the book. Horus had taken a grievous injury and he had been taken to uh, the Serpent Lodge on, <laughs> da- on Davin. I think we did say last time, how can a Serpent Lodge be bad? Uh, it's, you know, the Serpent has never been the, the, sim- the symbol of, of anything bad. Um, and that had led to some um, sort of disagreements uh, within the Mournival and uh, Torgarin with Loken on one side and pretty much everybody else on the, the other uh, with the desire just to do whatever it takes to save Horace's life and that was the end of that uh, section where we left it. Yep, so the the main thing here is Horace has just been kind of locked away in the Serpent Lodge and uh, pe- the the people on both sides of that argument are, are basically waiting for him to emerge uh, yeah there's the, they've been told that it takes nine days whatever happens will take nine days <coughs> and Horace will either die or he will come out of it himself there is nothing that uh space marines can do and that essentially is their worst fear because they are men of action and they can't do anything right now right so this leads right into um the first main section of the book which uh it's basically Horace being led through uh, a series of visions of potential futures by um, Erebus. The details of this are a bit hazy in my head, but essentially Erebus has adopted the form of Sejanus, who was, if you don't remember, the member of the Mournival who Loken replaced right towards the beginning of the first novel. And he, so he didn't actually appear in this story. He was just talked about as being a very noble warrior, etc., etc. Correct? Indeed. Indeed. Um, and uh, w- when he was um, <coughs> reintroduced uh, to Horus, Horus uh, says, Oh, and he was, he was beautiful to me. Yeah. Um, and he's just, this is obviously on purpose. This is Erebus taking the form of Sejanus. Um, and Horus is delighted to see him. Uh, Erebus obviously thinking this will be uh, this will be an easy avenue to sort of twist uh, Horus to his way of, of seeing things. Yeah, so that's basically what happened through this section is that Erebus is in the form of Sejanus going around with Horus through a series of visions. Um, and I thought this bit was pretty good. Uh, some it, was, of it, anyway. it was. He was showing Horus this beautiful landscape this is what seems strange to me Horus is shown green fields and mountains and and streams and it's really beautiful but at no point in the previous books or in this book uh, has beauty ever shown to hold anything to anybody yeah. uh, so it just seems strange that um, Erebus would try and, and show Horus this and then it is slowly sort of destroyed into a vision of the of, of the mechanized future where all the greenery is destroyed and, and concreted over. Factories are polluting the land, polluting the air and water, and it just looks horrifying. Um, that's, that works for us, but it, it, I don't think that would ever work for 
someone in uh, this this universe because they don't care for beauty they never have and the destruction of physical pastoral beauty doesn't seem like something that would ever twist anybody to anybody's way of thinking yeah i i, I kind of agree with that especially because um like the planet that the the lunar wolves and horus came from is talked about as a sort of horrible dark place not that i'm saying they think that's lovely being like that or anything but you know what you say they don't seem to usually care that much for yeah beauty or um apart from you know the beauty in the sense of um glorious primarchs strutting about in fancy gold armor and stuff like that so during these kind of dream visions uh Sejanus slash Erebus and Horus are being sort of followed around by a kind of wolf presence of some sort. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah some some uh, red-haired wolves uh, bearing the a, a double-headed eagle sigil. I, I'm not sure how he was able to decipher that, uh, but it's it's the the aquila, the the symbol of the emperor, and uh, the the. The wolf talks to Horus and says, "Who are you? You you need to remember who you are before he arrives." Horus throws himself into a sort of void, and he he does remember who he is, and um, he like he says he is Horus. So he's he's not going easily into this uh, into whatever depths Erebus is is wanting to to trail him to. But uh, Erebus is sort of revived inside the the Davenite lodge and speaks to the head priestess who's doing these sort of weird blood rituals. And uh, we can see that it's that there is a sort of horror all about. People are being sacrificed. There is a, a weird ritual where people are taking bites out of this uh, sort of still-beating heart. And Erebus is killed well at least he is uh his throat is cut by this priestess in order for this um for this ritual to go ahead yeah that's how he's basically sent into sort of horus's mind or whatever exactly is going on um one of the important things that uh horus sees and, and that angers him uh, beyond words is that he sees these statues of the emperor surrounded by his brothers and they are what we know as the loyal primarchs and they're they're sanguineous and they're uh, Lehman Russ and uh, all of these other ones but Horus is nowhere to be seen and uh, he is furious that he will not be remembered for the work that he's done and if you remember from sort of the second half of the last book and the first half of this book uh, quite a lot of of time is spent on Horus demanding to 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 be acknowledged as uh, you know as what he thinks his status deserves yeah 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 so this is yeah this is in the section where it's like you say looking towards the uh, 41st millennium kind of future and uh, Horus has seen himself as not being recognised yet. That was that was um, quite an effective bit, I think. It was, and and Sejanus was basically saying that. Um, I'll, I'm just going to say Erebus because you know we're, let's just keep it that way. Erebus 
was saying to him that the emperor has no plans in the future for the primarchs basically they will have served their purpose um but obviously this planet and other planets are basically dedicated to the worship of the emperor yeah and and this is the kind of future gothic stuff that uh is, is pretty cool and pretty fun about these books. So this is the description of the situation that Horus comes into here. It says, Random demagogues roamed the, roamed the streets, one fanatically mortifying his flesh with prayer whips while another held up two squares of orange cloth by the corners and screamed that he would not wear them. Horus could make no sense of any of it. Vast prayer ships drifted over this part of the shrine city, monstrously bloated zeppelins with sweeping brass sails and enormous prop-driven motors. Long prayer banners hung from their fat silver hulls, and hymns blared from hanging loudspeakers shaped like ebony skulls. It's it, it is cool. That sounds that sounds really like bold and vivid, and like I, I, you you can you can picture that really, can't you? You can really see it. And uh, Erebus is saying that you will do the work to pacify the the universe to bring the galaxy into compliance, and once you do that, you will be forgotten, and the emperor will put it put in place his real plan which is to ascend to godhood which is made to sound like a, a process like there is something that he will do i i'm not sure if that whether that is the case or or if it's just the emperor has said he won't be worshipped in fact he 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 wants to be worshipped and this will come to pass whenever they forget about you all will be left is the emperor Horus is been presented with the idea that he's just going to be used to carry out this crusade and then thrown aside um, and this is the after this scene is when they sort of jump through some kind of white door and uh, end up in a big laboratory Horus sees that the the, the level of techno- technological and genetic manipulation that's happening is way beyond anything that he's seen before or is you know, of the wit of man and Erebus tells him that this is the, the birthplace of the Primarchs. What he said in this part is that the, the Emperor actually made a bargain with the gods of the warp um, for power, the, the ability to do the things that he does. And this is interesting because the Emperor is human, except he is like a million times more in every way than all other humans. How uh, Erebus says that uh, the Emperor made a bargain with the gods of the warp when he uh, became aware of them for the ability to do what he does, what he has done. Um, And then he betrayed them. And what the Emperor did in making the Primarchs was take a little bit of that warp uh, granted force and put it in all the primarchs, yeah. and uh, and that was the source of their uh, of their sort of higher abilities. Uh, but then, because the emperor betrayed them and had grown in in strength, uh, they couldn't. The, the gods of the warp couldn't take it out on the emperor directly, and so they are responsible for scattering the primarchs throughout the galaxy, um, so that. The, the emperor needed to go and find them and re reunite with them and, and bring them back into the fold. I think the emperor in this in this war is 
is, is, is there's an effort to keep him as a enigma really and sort of drop in little hints now and again about what the you know the real story is um behind him and and it kind of works for me anyway you know like it, it is kind of intriguing uh, I, I do sort of want to know how he became like you say went from being um a standard human to a sort of superhuman godlike figure definitely i i do too but 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 at this point this is the first time we actually meet the emperor he he appears uh as the uh chaos gods this is this isn't described well so i'm a little bit uh floundering a little bit but it's i think it was called uh, like a ball of dirty light or something <laughs> which is uh like the chaos gods trying to uh pick up the primarchs and scatter them around the the galaxy the emperor comes in and horus immediately sort of buys buys down to him he is um you know he he just feels glory and love for this person but the emperor like puts out his hand and basically stops time um and and says to horus i know you so horus is actually there he is there as this act is happening in the past so it's he's not just um he's not just experiencing this vision it seems he is there at the point when this happens during his own birth apparent like apparently this is where the real hatred happens uh, because the emperor talks to Horus he says I know you so he knows him as Horus and he says uh, that you will you seek to undo all my good works and he sort of takes in the scene and he's obviously contemplating the future and he, <coughs> he, he does that in a few seconds that he, he knows what's going to happen and he makes this decision to allow chaos to scatter these uh, these uh, the the Primarch children in their pods uh, around so he I think he sees that this is actually the best of of bad options yeah um, and this is this is something that Horus and the other Primarchs had always understood to be something that was done against the Emperor's will the scattering yeah. of the Primarchs so he's seeing that as a great betrayal I think before we finish this section it's worth pointing out that um, if you thought uh, being in spirit form was going to stop Horus from you know tearing some uh, foes from collarbone to groin heavens no <laughs> absolutely not because the emperor's um, custodians get into a fight with the spirit Horus here and there's some some of your usual um, action ensues he uh, he busts uh, one of their skulls to fragments. Yeah, then that he, was a good one. Then he slashes one from collarbone to grow collarbone, collarbone to groin, as I mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he he's not getting up from that. No. Um, <laughs> then there's Horus tore his head off in his mighty fist, blood gushing from the neck as if from a geyser, as he tossed the severed head aside. So, um, yeah. Just yeah, your, he he killed him. <laughs> he's dead. I think he's dead. Um, right, so that's the first major section of the book, and 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 you know that was some pretty heavy stuff. Not a lot of laughs in there, um, <laughs> but but intermixed with that, we have a bunch of stuff that collectively I'm calling downtime and demons, um, 
where the Mournival, like you say, we've had the, they've had this fight, and um, they're sort of split into two camps. They're not like properly at war with each other or anything like that yet, uh, but they're sort of we're waiting for Horus to come out of this vision state from in in the Serpent Lodge. They don't know what's going on with them. He might be dead, as far as they know at this point. <coughs> and anyway, the absolute highlight of this. <laughs> for me uh, no no for me too <laughs> it's when I know uh, what you're going to say I know it we meet once again um, a character we've not seen for quite a while no uh, I act on cruise uh, <laughs> the, the elderly curmudgeon <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I act on cruise just I want to just he is the in, in a book of stereotypes he is an elderly a stereotype of an elderly curmudgeon wizened old man like he he calls Loken young man and he does and every every sentence pretty much every sentence i don't think i'm really going over the top here he says in back in my day or the things have changed it's it's really shocking writing, but in a way that I really love. <laughs> I can't really sum it up much better than that. It is like a masterpiece of bad writing. In the, <laughs> it's really really bad, but but also well, like, really entertaining. Well, what is the point of like, what? Ha- oh yeah, yeah. So through his sort of curmudgeon naysaying, he shows himself to have a little bit of self awareness because he goes. Uh, he goes like he whispers to Loken because at at some point Loken basically rolls his eyes and just goes yeah 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 <laughs> I I get it I yeah uh, I act on Cruz like in a moment of lucidity sort of says I know what they say about me I know nobody listens to me and and I was like oh my goodness he's gonna like he's gonna like give him some pearls of wisdom or something but no he just says. And why would they listen to me? Somebody old and doddering like me. And I'm like... (laughs) I mean, like, it really... Even as I listen to us talking about this, it sounds like we're hamming up um, for comic effect, the kind of language that's used in this section, but we're really not. Here's one piece of advice from my acting crews. Aye, it's a thorny one, my boy, agreed crews. (laughs) (laughs) Still, as we used to say back in my day, when there's nothing you can do about it, don't worry about it. God, that is actually when there's nothing. What, read that back to me again. When there's nothing you can do about it, don't worry about it. I mean, it's just not. It's not like that's a really badly written line. Like, <laughs> it, it, if if you're gonna if you're gonna come up with like a, you know, a, a one of those uh, thorny, naughty pearls of wisdom from the past, like it should zing with something. Like that's really badly done. I've got a act on Cruz's first line written down here. It's um. Not how it used to be, my boy. <laughs> That's how he's introduced. That's how it starts. He then goes on to the line that I just said, and then literally this section finishes with, "Not like it was back in my day." Side cruise after Wilkins departing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, he, I mean, he's still obviously like all the space marines. He's still horrible because he's basically an apologist for them, like stomping all over the people when they were bringing Horus back to the ship. Oh, that's right. He did do that. He he what the 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 again, it's just really weird that you would like these super soldiers, you know, superhuman beings that like 
you know, a lot of the way they're described is to emphasise how different they are from normal humans and that they can potentially live forever and all this. And that's like the most cliched uh, depiction of just an old man that you could imagine <laughs> yeah. is given to this yeah. guy. I was like, how does that, like, it's not, it's just a weird way of choosing to represent that character. You know what I mean? Like, why is, how old is he compared to Loken? I don't know. And like, it seems like it's not like, you couldn't but it, judge it, it in it, the same way you can judge human age anyway, you know? Um, but but it's only, at most, some hundred years, some one or two hundred years, at most. Yeah. Because that's the, the, the length that this stuff has really been going on for. And a lot of the previous part of the book has been absolutely balanced on the idea that these people, or these sort of humans, are they human, are they not? That That's an important question. But could theoretically live forever and are but are going to die in warfare um but that question has really sort of been answered in Ayakton cruise where <laughs> with within the space of max one or two hundred years you turn into a caricatured old man <laughs> maybe maybe this is part of the fall into chaos is that his his presence is sort of showing everybody what's in store for them if they don't turn into sort of tentacle monsters <laughs> they're, so, they're so depressed by the chat of acting crews that they're just like fuck this fuck this uh, the, the, i can go uh, and become uh, uh, an ever-living uh, plague mother or I can I can turn into like Captain Godfrey Horus making his decision he's like I don't want to be in Last of the Summer Wine I, w- I want I want to be a god well he, he he should be an interesting case study to everyone just like keep him alive and see what happens like where can he go from here let's just keep him alive and see you know what goes on with him but like he like everybody else uh whenever they need to be important they will be important for the rest of the time they can just you know just potter along yeah um, do you think i've um i've um somehow dated and made this podcast inaccess- inaccessible to pretty much everyone with my last of the summer rhyme reference <laughs> possibly <laughs> <laughs> what else happens when they're waiting around because the only th- main thing i can remember is that Carol Sinderman basically is in the library uh, and start learns to read a script that he couldn't read at all in like about an hour. That's <laughs> yes, that's actually, right. That's actually not an exaggeration. I think it is, or like somehow him and Euphrates Keeler, he works out something about the script and then he's basically able to read it in about an hour. Yeah, he's pretty much got that talent that I really wish was real and that I had, but um, yeah, he he starts translating the Book of Lorgar, and he then basically summons a demon. By accident. Yeah. From my knowledge of, which is you know not great, but like from my memory of like miniatures you could buy and stuff like that, when something happens in these books, I'm like, oh, is that one of like those things that I remember you could buy, you know, um, in the shop, and and I think this. I could be totally wrong on this, but I think the creature being described here was a thing called a pink horror, or possibly a blue horror. It mm-hmm. was like a chaos demon thing you could you could get put in your armies, your chaos armies. And the the thing about this creature was, if you killed it, it then split into like 
two other demons of a different of like okay um there's a bit but yeah um i i actually could be wrong on that but i think that's what was being described here um yeah, i i i never played any of those miniature games it's for losers in it <laughs> <laughs> sorry man you're in in your bio bit at the start of this you were like what was it? Oh yeah, you were in. What was it? What did, I thought you said. No, you were in. You were in some white role playing club, but you were too cool to play the games. <laughs> I was. I was. I was too scared to talk to anyone, but I judged them all the same. <laughs> I wasn't actually in the club. I would just. Um, all right, turn up. Yeah. No, honestly, this is true. I would just turn up and and sort of look at the pictures and read the stories. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this thing goes on a rampage, which strangely brought to mind in my head like uh, Ghostbusters when, when the, at the start of Ghostbusters when the library cards are being thrown about. With oh yeah, yeah, because it is in the it is in the library, and it all seems really self-contained. Like nothing really spreads beyond the library. Yeah, and um, then they, they kind of escape from this thing, get to the door of the library, and. The, the navigator, uh, whose name I can't quite remember at the minute, can you like bring Ing, that? Ing Mei Sing, I think. Ing Mei Sing, that's it. And what, she, so, she sort of helps them. I have a question, actually, about those about navigators. What actually is the deal with them? Are they, like, they have some engagement with the warp, because that's how ships travel about, isn't it? So they have some sort yeah. of magic powers. Well, yeah. Well, this is this is one of the stumbly bits that I had. So, yeah, she she has knowledge of the warp. And basically, the navigators are the people who do something and the ships that they're in can translate into the warp and come out the other side safely. That's what a navigator does. Yeah. Um, but at this point, she sort of saves them and they're all sort of running away. And it looks it, it's looking pretty bad. This demon whatever you uh, what did you what are we calling it oh, no, just just call it a demon because it may not just be what i think it was it sort of it spits fire or something uh, at them at which point uh, keeler starts uh summoning the power of the emperor she can feel it like in every part of her body and basically uses it to disintegrate this warp body but the problem i had with it that's all fine and dandy, I, you know. But whenever Ing Mei Sing saw this, she started adding her own, like she started shooting her own beams out of her eyes or out of her hands or whatever to help out. And I was like, hold on a minute. Wait, since when did navigators get that? That's what and I mean, since, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah since, since when is this a normal thing, shooting laser beams? I know it is. Uh, and for it not to be a thing, because there are people around. Well, that's what kind of why I was asking, right? Because for most of this uh, story so far, Ing Mei Sing has been treated, yeah, as a fairly important um, official on the ship, just um, someone who keeps things ticking along, essentially, uh, and keeps them travelling around. Um, meanwhile, all this, like, you know, all these revelations about the warp are being made to Woken and like all the demons that are in it and he didn't really know much about this, he was pretty ignorant about it and the idea is um, discussed that the Emperor gains his power from the warp uh, but that usually 
the their society shuns using the warp or, or trying to do any sort of sorcery or anything like that. And yet, yeah, suddenly this type of person who must be on all the ships uh, yeah. starts firing magic stuff at a demon and you're just like, yeah, it's weird. A little bit it's, weird. It, it would change things a whole lot back um, on that planet when Loken has just had uh, chaos revealed to him and Horus is explaining to him you know that it's uh, it's a uh, uh, you know it's something that the emperor knows about we don't know enough about it but just you know stick to your guns and we'll all be be safe by the way all our navigators can shoot laser beams out of their eyes with it <laughs> it's it, it's just such a weird so while this is going on what are the other characters up to carcasses distributing his what heretical is it? poetry yeah sort of just saying the space marines are bad and stuff like that or sometimes they are anyway Loken sort of comes to a, a sort of detente with him he says yes you're right we we need to be subject to the law otherwise we will just be um, dictators basically um, but then that's it like he, they're, they're in the room together uh, Carcassi says we need to have justice and all Loken does is say you need to keep on writing your poems keep on agitating for change but Loken is is in a position to bring about change he's one of the Mornival he can bring about justice but he he doesn't do it he chooses not to what he says is Carcassi keep on keep on you know searching for change keep on you know fight the good fight I'm like that's such a it's a cop out it's a total cop out yeah and um, yeah there's there's occasions more occasions like that we'll get to in this book where it's just like Looking sort of like, oh, he's a bit concerned about bad stuff that's been going on, but he he won't really do anything about it, or he'll just follow the orders he's given, and it's it's a bit annoying um, at yeah. times. But we totally forgot about, uh, or at least I totally forgot about um, the conclusion to the whole <laughs> to the whole uh, dream stuff uh, when the the wolf with the red hair that's following Horus around is revealed to be Magnus who we discussed in the last episode and he sort of used some warp magic to get to Horus via his dreams or visions or whatever. Every every second he is there, a dozen of his thralls die in order for him to be able to be there. And then they just sit around and chat for a couple of minutes. <laughs> no urgency whatsoever. So he starts arguing with Erebus. I mean, he's he's kind of trying to... Um, save Horus from being sort of tempted by Erebus and keep him loyal to the Emperor um, and he they have a bit of back and forth and basically Horus kind of acts pissed off with them both and he's he's Horus says he that he has always realised that Erebus is like trying to lead him astray and Magnus goes like basically thumps him on the back and goes well done brother and he goes, no, but you have been as well. And it's total false equivalency. Horus uh, just says, oh, but you're basically just as bad as each other. And that is not the case whatsoever. Presented with these kind of two choices, he uh, eventually says uh, he's made his choice. And then that bit, that That's it. Yeah. the narrative stops there. Um, what was Mercedes Oliton during... She's like a weirdly underdeveloped character, do you know what I mean? Like, 
in in this book, I, I basically just see her as a plot device to yeah. to get to get um, some exposition yeah. directed at her. Because there is a part of this book that we don't need to go into again. Where they sorry, a part of the second half of this book where they do the sort of rubbish like flashback unnecessary yeah. structure that they did quite a lot at the start of the book. And um, yeah, that's kind of what she seems to be there to do a lot of the time. Uh, but maybe she has a role in the next book that's a bit yeah, bigger. Yeah, I, I, ho- I hope so. Um, I, I, I doubt it, but I hope so. Because she is basically... Um, she's one of the only women characters in it, and she's the only person of colour, I think. Um, right, so the start of section four of the book is, um, as often happens in these stories, they just kind of cut to war like um the the story resumes and are in a massive war again they basically are in a war with something called the orishian technocracy <laughs> yeah that's 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 some good wordy bullshit <laughs> i like that um and these this civilization is a lot like the hum- the um, the imperial humans essentially aren't they um and they even have a sort of fighting force that looks a bit like space marines so it's it's meant to um be highlighting the fact that these are not some you know uh this is not a spider land they're in <laughs> no by no means there and and the um the space marines are are fully aware of the similarities between each themselves and this techno tech technocracy Oof. <laughs> That that is rough. Um, yeah, but uh, and and the way this well, when the story picks up again in part four, the war is kind of underway. But they do describe a bit about how it started, and this is, I think, highlighting the contrast between when the expedition met the Interrex, um, yeah. when there was people like Abaddon um, agitating for war, but Horus was kind of like initially keen to have friendly uh, sort of diplomacy with, with the Interax. In this occasion Horus um, shoots him in the face. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, not much more needs to be said than that. But he invites them, a sort of party of representatives of the civilization, onto his on, on their ship. I think it's on Horus's ship. And yes to cu- cut a long story short, shoots him in the face and they begin a war. Uh, it lasts uh, months, yeah. Bob. From from all, um, I don't know. Did, did you get the sense that they described this in as much um, delight as other wars? <coughs> I thought this was sort of skipped over largely. I think there wasn't. No, I suppose there was some some combat sections. I thought it was like all of these kind of scenes. It, it was fairly effectively written. I mean, this is what these guys do. Yeah. yeah, and um, it was it, it was not it wasn't colourful like these alien planets. It was just this really grey, um, grim war setting. But the, the, it was emphasising that this was a really difficult fight. And at some point in the, along the way, they had um, they had uh, brought into this war the World Eaters. Yes, who are the uh, Legion led by Angron. Angron. <laughs> Angron, his um, remind me what his main um, personality trait is. <laughs> uh, 
he's um he's not melancholic no no he's furious isn't he like he, he is from the from the beginning to the end he's just uh he's very angry <laughs> i can't um, re- yeah i can't remember exactly why but it tells you at one point that in his when he was growing up or whatever he got some kind of device implanted in his head that made him more angry <laughs> 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 or like this was forcibly done by someone else, and he had, yeah. waiter had the option of having that removed, but he didn't want it removed because he liked being angry. And uh, and he's got loads of skulls and stuff on his on his outfit, and he's his outfit is whatever, his outfit, yeah. his, ar- his armor, and he's um, uh, you're sort of thinking, hmm, you know, like I mean, yeah. even even some of the space marines are like, I'm not sure if we uh, like the extent that the world eaters take things to because they obviously they're very ferocious in battle and I mean all the space marines are pretty nasty but it's emphasised that these guys are even Re- more yeah, that, it's just a bit more animalistic I guess in their pursuit of war yeah I don't really buy any uh, of the other legions turning their nose up um, at the world eaters they don't seem markedly different in my eyes just a little bit more uh, gruesome, but Loken, as often in this section, you know, it's emphasised how he's very sad and has lots of reservations yeah. about the way they're prosecuting this war, and it was an unnecessary war to get into. But he does it all anyway. <laughs> he carries yeah, out exactly. <laughs> carries out all his murderous duties. Um, he's anyway. a yeah. He's a he's a he's a centrist. <laughs> but no but the thing is like he does sigh a lot and and have sort of introspective moments but he never is close to having a a revelation of action you know he 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 never even considers doing anything it reminds me a bit of like you know um supposedly moderate republicans in american politics who like when trump's doing whatever you know whatever new like horrendous thing he's doing and they kind of like put out a sad tweet and do nothing about it despite like being legislators who actually could do something about it that is rough so he is marco rubio (laughs) 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 whoa that is that is Goodness gracious! <laughs> you're, you're like, you don't like Woken, but you're like, come on now. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa! Do we, let's not say anything we can't take back. <laughs> right, um, what happens after this? They're storming the Citadel thing, um, and it's been a really hard fight. And the um, the Angron and his world eaters take the lead in this attack, and when they're storming into it. they finally sort of break open the walls or whatever and they're storming in and then there's I don't know if like the defence has been rigged with some explosive or something for when if they if they got um toppled this would go off and so somehow yeah. the all the, the rubble and stuff caves in and Angron Angron falls it's into buried. it, right? And like and, uh, it, it, it's it's a funny it, like it's not funny to read I suppose but it's 
it, it is like a, a sort of funny picture where Angron is just like completely buried by this building <laughs> and, and everything just goes on around him. And this bit, like after this, really annoyed me because, <laughs> so, so I mean, we've said, uh, we've told you about Angron, his name's Angron, he's got a chip in his head that makes him more angry, <laughs> he's got skulls all over him, he's, uh, his band of warriors are called the world eaters he um tears apart the enemies with such uh vim and vigor that even other space marines balk at it slightly uh including woken who like is not happy with the way this is all going and um angron seems to represent like the the, the side of the space marines that he's begin to question that's all he's like a bad in the bit you know just an angry dude yeah and um so there's all of that, right? And yet, when Angron gets engulfed by this rubble, Wilkins just suddenly possessed by an anger that, like, um, oh, they could, they, they've done this to a Primarch, and he goes on like a battle frenzy, basically, uh, and because he's so angered that a Primarch has fallen. And I was just like, these Space Marines are such losers. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like just this. Blind devotion, even to to like one to a Primarch they can see is obviously bad, and they charge into battle and they basically they're just the biggest marks like, yeah. that you can think of. Like in the end, you, you kind of think that the, those legions that fall to chaos kind of do so a little bit out of embarrassment because <laughs> they 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 see that like it's just shown to them what complete rubes they've been and they, they just are so humiliated that they're like oh yeah right i'm on the side of the tentacle monsters now because because i i just can't show my face anymore and luckily when i turn to chaos i won't have a face so it's all fine yeah, yeah. um so they woken and the sons of horus who are following up on the world eaters in this attack they surge into the um into the fortress they've been attacking and they just go in a frenzy of killing and it describes it as woken just just sort of coming to his senses before it was a full-blown massacre basically because he realizes they're surrendering but it sounds like it's kind of already been a fairly significant massacre but um i think he's this has sort of started to go on in a bit of time when when the opposition forces have given up and are, are surrendering. So they do. Yeah, they, they are surrendering at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and they they stop. I think Woken and Turgadon then bring the fight into a stop. Then we go into kind of the. The 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 closing section, of the this book. This is this is where Varvarus dies, though. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was about to go into because it's kind of emphasized that. Varvarus. He, he's the um for people who can't remember, he is the sort of the normal human army leader. I can't quite remember his um his title, but he's basically the general of the human armies. Yeah, and he had made complaints when the Mornival had sort of smashed through the crowds with Horus's body after he fell on the moon of Davin. Yeah. And um and this is the, this is like uh, something that the um, the lodge amongst the 
the Sons of Horus had been upset about the like Abaddon and, and and that sort of crowd. They were um, annoyed with him for doing this, and um, they also kind of plotted in the lodge. And Turgadon, Loken wasn't there, but Turgadon saw was it was there at one point and sort of argued with them because they were basically talking about setting up uh, Carcassy and Loken at one point. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Um, so anyway, this all feeds into this section of the book where there's basically a plan to eliminate opponents of Horus. Um, it's it's the purges. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we f- <laughs> completely forgot to discuss that obviously Horus is out of his... Um, he came out of the Serpent Lodge and was alive again, so they were all delighted with that. And then got into this war kind of forgot about that <laughs> fairly significant but we're, he, we're, we're good at podcasting <laughs> he's he's out of there now and that's why they've gone off on a new war and um, but it kind of just harks back to that so this the last we'd seen of him was he was had a decision to make and now they're back in this war and um horus uh is plotting with a bunch of sympathetic uh chaos sympathetic types um, amongst the the legion, you, at this point. yeah, you, everyone knows who they are. It's it's Abaddon, it's Malagorst, it's um, Aximand, uh, and then there is the uh, emissary from the Mechanicum, the adept from the Mechanicum. Re- yeah, Regulus. Um. Regulus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, Regulus. He's, he's a machine man. He he really likes machines, and that's how he's won over. Because um, oh, this bit was quite interesting, actually. That uh, was it. <laughs> the the um, well, think I just you think we know where my my views lie on this bit, the, but carry on. They carry weren't on. quite. I wasn't quite sure what they were driving at, but the the Orishan technocracy are in possession of. I can't remember what they were called. They were called like. S something machines, S something TC machines, or something like this. That. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there seemed to be the implication that these had been on the go in Earth in some distant past age, mm-hmm. and that the Mechanicum were aware of this, and they really wanted to get them in their possession, basically. And these <coughs> things, I don't know what they do. Do did you work? No, that I, I, I don't. Um, I don't know whether we're meant to or not. Um, I mean, my, my. My, uh, we, we could Google it, I suppose. <laughs> basically, my take on it, as far as I could tell, was that they were just sort of like giant 3D printers. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I, right. Fine. Something like that. But anyway, he's uh, Regulus is convinced. Well, Horace basically says to him, mm, if I give you these machines, will you be on my side, whatever happens? Yeah. And he's like, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Apparently, that bit was very interesting. <laughs> I was talking about the giant 3D printers, Neil. Oh, uh, really? Oh, which okay. um, everyone knows is how things were made in the future. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, just print out a big gun. Here, mate, mate. I'll give you this 3D printer if you'll, um, <laughs> if you'll uh, turn aside and worship the devil. Uh, I don't. Um, I, maybe I'll think about it. It's big. It's a big printer. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm on your side. Hail Satan. <laughs> okay. So basically, uh, very interesting. They want to. 
Let's get back uh, on track. Let's get back on track. Let's not the potters, the schemers, they have um, they want to kill people off at this point, and they so Varvarus has been sent down in the front of the well with the forces, including Turgadon and Loken. So I was a bit like because it sort of pointedly says that there are Turgadon and Loken and their forces, as well as Varvarus, had all been sent down to follow up on the world eaters in this sort of major assault on the enemy fortress and it kind of suggested that Turgadon and Loken had also like deliberately been put in the way of danger and possibly death but I'm sure they wouldn't have minded yeah I mean they love it but anyway Varvarus uh, so sorry there's so the, the, the back to the battle that I don't know how what the f- how have we gone on to like massive 3d printers anyway right <laughs> back to the battle where they the fighting stopped briefly. <laughs> then Angron sort of roars out of a pile of rubble. Yeah, um, he's he's like, you you can't you can't destroy a building on me. I'll I'll get out of it. And when I, he was he was pretty angry at this point, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he he kind of I don't really know what exactly he does, but he does some sort of maneuver where he slices up about fifteen people in one. Uh, swoop or at least that's how it seemed to me yeah and then, his weapon of choices are big axes and then they so then all the fighting breaks out again and then Loken as usual is like oh this is terrible but we better join we in this better slaughter kill everyone yeah, yeah better kill all these people who've surrendered yeah um and, and in the course of that a stray shot kills Varvarus the yeah stray shot kills Varvarus and Around about the same time in the story, uh, Carcassy is visited by Maggard. He's been getting kind of um, friendly with the Space Marines, um, and he goes and kills Carcassy, which is a pretty. It was a pretty horrible bit. That yeah, it's it's kind of um, th- this is actually quite well written because it it jumps about because. Um, at the same time that uh, Maggard goes and visits Carcassy, um, Horace is going to visit Petronella, and she has written, um, she's written this bit uh, of of her remembrance. Horace comes to Petronella's oh, yeah, chambers. Sorry. Yeah, so at the same time as Maggard is visiting, uh, visiting, <laughs> killing Carcassy, uh, Horace is uh, spending some time with Petronella and this has really the ring of it being designed that all of this is happening at the same time. They're all synchronized, the, the, everybody will be purged at the same time. Yeah, all the dissenters. Yeah. And uh, Petronella realizes what um, Horace's plan is and what he's going to do and basically he just breaks her neck with the, you know, the slight of his hand despite someone who's set up seems to be set up to be a sort of really cliched villain like i really think petronella comes across as one of the most sympathetic characters Mm -hmm. in this book and and, in this section also because you can kind of like you kind of feel for her when she's she doesn't know what's going on when horace has turned up at her chamber she just thinks he's she's really proud of her book um that she's written based on his recollections and she thinks he's coming to um to read it i mean uh she basically thinks it's about that but basically he he reads it and says it's 
it's, or he has a look at it and says it's good, but then he kills her and... He kills her because during his deathbed uh, recollection, he said too much and he can't have somebody um, out and about with that kind of knowledge. And obviously the same reason, it's the same reason for Carcassy, basically, they they have that microphone, the ability to uh, tell the people what's going on uh, okay. and to rally them. Yeah. And Petronella, like before, she kind of at one point she's ready to sort of stand up and argue with Horus here, which is, yeah, compared to like basically all the other characters in this book, you can't help but sort of admire that. Um, and it's it's kind of bizarre to say the least that she ends up, given that she basically is from a, an aristocratic family that has slaves, that she can come across as one of the more sympathetic characters in the book is. Yeah, and and she mutilated that slave. <laughs> like, yeah, she she had it so that he couldn't speak anymore. And uh, the the author of this book decides, yes, this is the person that I want to be <laughs> people to to sort of side with. But I almost don't know if like he has decided that, or if it's just sort of ended up that way. Like, I don't know if she's meant to be that sympathetic, but um, just the fact that she stands up to Horace and stuff like that, um, she. I don't know. Just seems a more she's a more interesting character than than many. Um, well, that I mean that that's from the paucity of actual character. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. that a- anybody who is willing to sort of stand up for something worthy, anything, then that person will immediately sort of make the audience go, "All right, I'm on her side." So basically, all this stuff's going on, and there's a scene where Horus is assembled his crew of people that he thinks will join him in rebelling against the emperor. Well he knows they all will join him but he's only spoken to them kind of individually about it up to this point and he yeah. sort of he puts it all out in the open at a meeting and <laughs> I quite liked about this but he basically describes his like plan and it just sounds dead simple. He's just it, this this scene is terrible. <laughs> like it is it, it, it's impossible it's absolutely impossible it, it, he's surrounded by like this big group of people and obviously they're hand chosen that he's not necessarily surprising them but he he literally says i am going to overthrow the emperor and in uh, in place myself as the the new master of mankind and like that is it like, I know I know <laughs> it is like upfront 100% from 0 to 100 miles per hour heresy right up there it's really disappointing like for such a big pivotal scene it had no thrust or or nuance or or any impact at all it's strangely perfunctory yeah um, in in a series that is called the Horus Heresy that it's like literally he they still don't know what his big plan is on page 433 and the book's finished on page 435 and I know that's partly just setting it up for the next book but still it's um, I think it just seems like sort of just getting this out of the way um, weirdly and uh, so he basically says 
He's got them all sitting there waiting and he says, I am going to topple the Emperor from his throne on Terra and take his place as the Master of Mankind. Um, <laughs> and he lays out his plan, which like I say... Um, yeah, so it's it's like... Uh, we, we've got some people on our side already. There are some that we think we may be able to get on our side. Those Primarchs who we know we aren't going to be able to, I've sent off on missions that are like super dangerous and far away and uh for the rest of them i've got a little secret planned on istvan yeah and i mean i know there's been a lot of weird stuff happening in the, um but still just think for all the build-up you were given especially in the first book about how unthinkable it was that, uh to um for space marine to fight space marine and not to mention how much everyone is devoted to the Emperor, that this is just, like, so casual and, like, easy that they just go, right, yeah, cool. I, I don't know what else to say about about it for the, the pivotal moment in this whole series of books is nothing. Like, like yeah. it is... It is got over with in... A page? It's just, it's odd. It's like, you just can't be bothered. They can't be bothered with it, you know? Um, well, like, by by the end of the time I got to, when I got to this bit of the book, I was quite <coughs> tired and sort of wanted it to be over. And maybe, maybe, maybe the author sort of wrote it in the same time it takes to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just, he was a bit sleepy. And he was like, well, I've already done my word count uh i can end this here if i want contractually i don't need to make it any better yeah and he's like shit horace the heresy hasn't started yet that was my one thing i had to do i had to start the heresy i've only got 300 <laughs> words left it's like there's no way i'm going back to edit this thing so <laughs> yeah i mean that is the end of the book them saying uh foreshadowing the next one where something is going to happen on istvan what did you think I thought the second half of the book was better than the first half. The first half was terrible. Although it did have, I think, my favourite bit of um, any of the books. And that was the description of the plague world. Oh, I liked I liked the bit in this where Horus saw the vision of the future and all the other Primarchs being like statues or whatever and he wasn't there and he saw all these like just bizarre sights like a prayer ship going about and mm. this whole really kind of gothic um, religious world devoted to worship of the emperor and stuff like that I, I thought that was um, pretty cool or interesting anyway um, I, I I felt that there were moments in the book that was going to lead me into something that really interesting and really good and I just felt that at the key moment they hopped back to a bit that I didn't care about and never never sort of caught up with the the interesting bits that I wanted them to. So you would think that is the end of this discussion, but I've got a surprise for you, Neil, because oh. I this time, not unlike the first book, so I, I think I might have mentioned that I bought a special edition version of this book that has a short story at the end an extra short story and this time i actually read it because i didn't read the last one 
superb. Um, and I thought, I really thought that I was going to come into this section and it was going to be like, um, the section would be like reading the bonus short stories so you don't have to type of thing. <laughs> uh, and it was going to be like really bad. But it's actually probably way more entertaining than everything else in the book. Um, and I'll just quickly go over it because obviously you've not read it, but I'm still interested to hear your comments on it. So this story goes back to like before all the heresy stuff going on, before the first book starts, um, before even the Ulanor campaign that led to them having that um, very extravagant victory party that involves Livewell in the continent. Um, and they're in a fight with some orcs that basically... It's just like completely off the scale in a good way this bit like um so the the orcs have constructed a scrap world called goro that is like i couldn't even really visualize exactly what they're describing here but that was fine it was like a world that was entirely made of scrap somehow and um they had these sort of scrap ships there was a massive ship battle with these scrap ships um they were kind of losing the battle uh this this was horus and his his fleet um and all the usual characters except Sejanus is obviously still alive at this point and, and Wilkin um isn't doesn't feature in the short story at all. Um and then they're kinda of losing to these orc ships and then then the Emperor shows up out of nowhere in like Ooh. this massive, massive, massive ship that like I think like this bit does quite well in capturing the sort of scale of you know, the Emperor as being a big deal and then so they, they kind of win the space battle and then for some reason <laughs> they go down to the scrap world to fight the orcs and Horus thinks he's chatting with the Emperor and he thinks they're not going to go down for a fight and then the Emperor's like, actually, we're teleporting right into the front of this fight and they they teleport in, they're falling up like the Emperor falls in this hole in the scrap planet. These are some kind of techno orcs, right? They've got like right. They've, they're more into technology than the average orc and they've got these sort of big metal monster things down at the bottom. They have a massive fight with them. And uh, I think the the bit, as far as it has any significance to the wider story, um, there's a bit at the end where at the core of this scrap world, there's some sort of you know, um, gravitational thing going on right and, it, and <laughs> they're down at the bottom but they've fallen down Horus just like, jumps down this massive hole his his troops follow him but they die because they're not Primarchs he gets down to the bottom and he gets in a fight to help the Emperor there and then they kill all, they kill the orcs the machine orc things and then it's about to they're about, the whole thing's about to like implode or whatever turn into a sort of black hole and then the Emperor kind of goes into the warp messes about with some stuff and Horus at this point kind of sees into the the warp that well the Emperor's manipulating it and he sort of makes it safe for them at least temporarily so they can get out so it's like this was Horus getting a glimpse of the, the warp and then it sort of says at the end this is just before they go into fight more orcs in the Ulanor campaign and <clears throat> if my description of that was fairly breathless that's what that's what the experience of reading it is like in a, in a fully entertaining way and it did make me wonder like released from the constraints of having to write cat probably proper characters and yeah long narratives is is it actually does it actually work better the style of writing but it was a fun read yeah maybe maybe sort of relieved of of 
of the necessities of a novel. Yeah. Uh, the structure of short stories just helps this kind of stuff. I can totally understand that. So what is next? What's the next book? The next book is... Just madly Googling as we speak, is Galaxy in Flames. So, okay, so we know what we're in for. Galaxy in Flames by Mr. Ben Counter. Um, I look forward to that. Um, yeah. That will be, again, we will be back in two weeks for that one. Um, I'll just do a normal little spiel that if uh, you're enjoying what we're doing, then tell other people about it. Uh, write reviews, tell them to listen, do whatever you want to do. That would be very nice. You can get in touch at horseheretics at gmail.com. And I think that's about it for me, Will. Yep, yeah, me too. Well, see you next time. See you then.